0: Press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front.
1: From the Journalists of the Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Friday, September 9. The Death Knell. From church towers across the United Kingdom, muffled bells today mark the death of Queen Elizabeth II. As her body lies in state at Balmoral Castle. King Charles III has ascended to the throne of Great Britain and Australia with his consort, Queen Camilla, by his side. the
0: The Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow.
1: The king automatically became head of state upon the death overnight of his mother at the age of 96 at her beloved Scottish country home. She had been queen for 70 years.
0: I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial
1: family to which we all belong. Preparations for a funeral, likely on Monday week, are already well-advanced. King Charles released a statement saying, we mourn profoundly the passing of a cherished sovereign and a much-loved mother. Australia will formally observe Queen Elizabeth's death in the coming days and weeks. It was only on Tuesday that the Queen, smiling brightly, but with a badly bruised hand, appointed new Prime Minister Liz Truss, her 15th British Prime Minister and one of more than 170 across the Commonwealth.
0: Queen Elizabeth II provided us with the stability and the strength that we needed. She was the very spirit of Great Britain and that spirit will endure.
1: Elizabeth was the only monarch most of us have ever known. You can listen now to the front's full obituary. It's available now wherever you get your podcasts. Up first today, the never before seen details of how convicted killer Chris Dawson groomed a vulnerable young woman a week after Chris Dawson was convicted of murdering his wife Lynn, there are new revelations today about Dawson's early interactions with the student and teenage babysitter who would later become his wife. We've analysed Justice Ian Harrison's reasons for convicting Dawson, who's now awaiting a sentencing hearing, and have discussed it in a new episode of The Teacher's Trial with The Australian's Headley Thomas, David Murray and Matthew Condon. Let's hear Justice Ian Harrison's summation of J.C.'s evidence about the genesis and development of her relationship with Chris Dawson. We've asked a voice actor to read Justice Ian Harrison's words.
2: J.C. got her driver licence in 1982. Mr. Dawson taught her to drive. She learnt to drive around the D.Y. area where she lived at the time. J.C. had a school bag which Mr. Dawson had bought her She regularly found notes of love and affection from him in her bag whenever she had biology in 1980. When she left the marriage in 1990, Mr Dawson told her to destroy them. Mr Dawson disputes this. However, she kept the originals of the notes but cannot now find them all. She showed these notes to police officers, lawyers and friends, Photocopies of some of these notes were tendered in these proceedings. They are referred to later in these reasons.
1: By 1981, this has developed into a sexual relationship, Justice Harrison continues.
2: They had sex every Friday night thereafter. Mr Dawson would pick her up and drive to Manly. He would stop at a convenience store to buy her chocolate and they would have sex in his car at Manly Point they had sex at his home, at New England University, at his brother Paul Dawson's house and at her sister's home. They also had sex at his office at school and at 2 Gilwinger Drive when Ms. Lynette Dawson was asleep or in the shower in the evening. Mr Dawson asked JC to marry him over and over and over again until she agreed while still at school. Mr Dawson disputes this.
1: I've got to say Matt, listening to that, the line about the chocolate really sends a chill down my spine, as does the regularity of it and the kind of routine of it. Every Friday night, this routine of stopping at the convenience store to buy chocolate and then have sex in the car, it's really disturbing.
3: It is very disturbing. I mean, the purchase of the chocolate, we haven't heard that before. And it goes to the very heart of a predator luring their prey uh, with the currency that only she can
1: appreciate,
3: as in the chocolate.
1: Here's what Justice Ian Harrison said about JC's evidence more broadly. This is Justice Harrison's voice from the video recording of the verdict.
0: I am, however, satisfied that evidence is otherwise truthful and reliable I was struck by her her evidence concerning the development of her relationship with Mr Dawson while she was still at Cromer High School. I was left with the impression that felt that she had been, and that she had in fact been, swept up in circumstances over which she had only limited control. She was confused and conflicted. On the one hand, Mr Dawson offered her friendship, stability and guidance as a well respected and charismatic male figure of a kind that had been lacking in her life on the other hand appears to have found herself in an emotional bind with a man whose enthusiasm for their relationship was not matched by hers i found that assistance during her evidence that she was at the time only a child to be an evocative description of her predicament with wider metaphorical implications I refer to these matters in order to indicate that I do not consider that evidence has been corrupted by the influence of her separation and divorce.
1: So, Headley, in that sentence, the judge torpedoes the suggestion by the defence that JC is just a bitter ex-wife.
0: He does,
3: and I don't think anybody took that seriously, but when you are completely stuffed, as Chris Dawson was with the defence argument, you don't have a feather to fly with you'll pull out whatever you can. I mean, I think, too, thinking back to observing JC in the witness stand, you can see it now very, very clearly. She was pleading throughout her evidence... For people to recognise, I was only a child when this was happening. And I think that's what got to Justice Harrison in his assessment of her evidence.
1: Yes, and Pauline David tried very hard to get J.C. to agree with her that J.C. had at some time been in love with Chris Dawson and that it was a romantic relationship founded on respect and, and mutual admiration. J.C. wasn't having any of that. In my view, J.C. was, is, always has been, the star witness in this trial in these proceedings if there ever was a star witness she
0: is the person who first went to the police and kicked all of this off back in 1990 and has essentially maintained her story her version of events in
1: all of the years since and justice harrison has accepted pretty much everything she said with the exception of what she has said about the hitman allegation everything else
0: the judge said he believed her
1: You can hear that conversation in full and more from Justice Ian Harrison's verdict in a new episode of The Teacher's Trial later today. It's available wherever you get your podcasts or at theteacherstrial.com.au. Coming up, could Donald Trump's trove of classified documents send him back to the White House? Another day, another revelation about top-secret documents seized from the Mar-a-Lago home of former US President Donald Trump. This week, it's been reported some documents in the stash contained classified information about the defence and military capabilities of an unnamed foreign power. Cameron Stewart is an associate editor with The Australian and joins me now. Cam, we'll come back to those new documents in a minute, but first, let's take it all the way back why did the FBI raid Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago last month?
3: Well, Claire, it begins from the time that Trump left the White House. And what actually happened was he took a whole lot of documents with him. The authorities in Washington decided they didn't think they were being told the truth by Trump's lawyers. They thought that there were a lot more documents there than they were admitting to. And so on August the 8th, they did the extraordinary decision of sending FBI into Mar-a-Lago dressed as golfers, dressed in shorts and polo shirts so as not to alarm the guests. And that's exactly how the raid happened. And it's become such a trigger point in American politics.
1: And how much of this is political theatre in the motivation of the Democrats, the motivation of the FBI, and in Trump's response?
3: The bottom line is that Trump as president, he could have declassified these documents if he wanted to while he was in the White House because that is allowed. There's 300 documents, I should add, and some of them are top secret and some of them are really remarkably sensitive. It's not usual and it's not technically legal for a president to do that. But this goes to the point of untested laws. Has he really broken the law clearly or is it, as the president's lawyers argued, a lot of these documents have executive privilege related to them. And so it's a very unclear and murky area. And that's where the politics comes into it, Claire, because the FBI, of course, was seen by Trump while he was president as being a very anti-Trump organization. He didn't see them as neutral at all. I uh, Remember the Russia investigation, his fights with the former FBI chief, James Comey. And so Trump said to his supporters, look, the FBI is almost an arm of the Democrat party. We can't trust it.
2: He's a showboat, he's a grandstander. The FBI has been in turmoil, you know that, I know that, everybody knows that. You take a look at the FBI a year ago, it was in virtual turmoil less than a year ago. It hasn't recovered from that.
3: This is what he's saying again with the Mar-a-Lago raids. He's saying, you're kidding me, really? This is something that they're going to raid the home of a former president for? That is purely politically motivated. So the question which has divided American politics is, is this a justified raid or not?
0: The Mar-a-Lago
2: raid was a desperate effort to distract from Joe Biden's record of
1: misery. They're trying to silence me, and more importantly, they are trying to silence you. So one interpretation is this is some sort of procedural breach that he's, you know, taken home a few manila folders that he really should have left in the White House. The other interpretation is, of course, much more sinister. And that brings us back to these documents that reference the military capabilities potentially of an unnamed foreign power. Cam, do you have a tip as to which country that might be, you know, friend or foe?
3: Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's the documents that detail the military defences of this country, including nuclear capabilities. Now, there's not that many. So we're probably looking at Russia, China, potentially Israel, but unlikely. you think it would be much more a foe that Donald Trump would be interested in in this respect. So, you know, if that is the case, that is very interesting. And of course, as these leaks come out of Washington about precisely what documents they are, of course, that sways the political debate as well because the supporters of the FBI say, well, hey, look at this, you know, you can't really have these documents lying around here. Anyone could photograph them, et cetera. And critics say, well, these are selective leaks. What exactly are these documents? Because we can't say exactly what they are because, of course, they are highly classified. In fact, some of them go beyond top secret. There, in fact, uh, only a handful of people had access to these documents during the time the President was in the White House.
1: And does it risk making him a martyr?
3: It does. In fact, uh, interestingly, Donald Trump's opinion ratings have gone up as a result of this, and that's what he will want to do. He want to exploit it, understandably, politically, and say, "Look, I'm being victimized here. If you want to make America great again, well, you're going to have to basically come with me and understand that the whole system is against me." And of course, this is the bottom, underlying, big picture theme here. Claire is that Americans have lost faith so much in the last decade in their institutions, and the institutions themselves have become symbols of this sort of decay in trust and the FBI is front and centre here. The bottom line is that this could actually potentially rebound back against Joe Biden and the Democrats if enough Republicans see this as a very unjustified move by the FBI to go into Mar-a-Lago.
1: Cameron Stewart is an associate editor with The Australian. Thanks for joining us on The Front. It's produced by Kristen Amyot and Harim Khan. Our editors are Tiffany Dimack and Joshua Burton. Multimedia editor is Leah Tamagloo and our music is by Jasper Leek.